Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Williams Project podcast. This is episode 90. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about the future of the property market. Yes, uh, you've got COVID Matthew here, um, here to give you guys value. Now, I do need to make an apology. Last podcast, I think I was recording through my headphones, not through my mic. Um, and I think my audio is a bit rubbish. So I apologize for not giving you the best possible result team. You deserve better. And we'll endeavor to give you better on this episode. Yeah, so today's episode... Hopefully the settings are hopefully, right. Hopefully. We won't know till the end of it. Um, so today's episode, as you guys know, there's lots of talk about the market, whether that be the stock market, the crypto market, the property market, uh, inflation, the dollar falling. Sort of, we're sort of, we've turned the corner of everything's going fantastic, asset prices are increasing at record rates to now sort of the economic COVID hangover uh, through poor economic management and printing billions and billions of dollars, uh, which we thought we could get away with without punishment. Yeah, there was always going to be economic repercussion for stopping the entire economy's productivity for one to two years, followed by horrendous money printing. Like, it baffles me that people thought that we wouldn't see, and asset prices didn't, well, they they reacted properly um, because of the quantitative easing we had from all of our governments. And cheap money. So it's, yeah, it's perfectly acceptable for us to have um, asset prices correcting to a more realistic place. Yeah, so I suppose the first thing is, do we think the world is going to end? Absolutely not. Um, and also... Well, that's just... Yeah, <laughs> correct. But I suppose the the first thing to discuss is you have to really look at long-term data. Like it's very easy for the media to portray a very, very negative picture about the economy by saying house prices have dropped X percent since January or share markets have fallen by 10% since January, where they really need to go, how has it performed over the last two years? Let's say if you just go March 2020 when COVID started to March 2022, are we overall up or down? In a majority of cases, we're either the same or overall up. Well, I would take it one step further, right? I would say, is people's standard of living got better in the last 10 years or worse? Right, And I would say better. If I think back to 10 years ago and I think of the technology available um, and the standard of living versus the standard of living now, I think it's better. Significantly. Yeah, significantly. So you say, right... And let's let's. I reckon we should narrow in on an asset class, and we should narrow in on property because that's what we're in the industry of, and I think we probably have um, the the best understanding of that industry. So let's look at property as an asset, and let's look through the real fundamentals of property. Is the world's population increasing or decreasing? It's like sickeningly increasing. At some sick rate. Okay, so it's increasing, right? Is it getting easier to get the materials required for a property like sand, timber, um, all sorts of metals, or harder? And also, is it getting cheaper or more expensive? Well, that, that's yeah. where I was, that was my second question. But it's getting harder, right? It's harder to get a mine for sand. It's harder to get a mine for um, aluminium. It's harder to get all these materials, right? And that's causing those materials to be more expensive. So we have more people living on the planet and we have materials becoming more expensive. Now, in the economy, uh, people's labour, the buying of people's time to assemble these materials, is their labour going up or down? 
Well, it's going up, and even in third world countries, it's going up. So yes, so the price to assemble these houses is increasing, right? Now, the bureaucrats involved with saying how we build these houses, are they making the standards easier to build um, as far as more simple or harder to build as far as what they would say, warmer, drier homes? Um, but they're essentially making houses more complicated. Well, it's, so is it easier or more complicated? It's quite a two-pronged thing. Like in a way, they've tried to make it easier through planning rules with these new rules coming in in August, then they've made it harder in the sense of upgraded windows, foundations, insulation, new engineering codes. I think if you look in snapshots of, say, 10 years, though, oh, you yeah, can just harder, say harder. Yeah. Right. Okay. Even the yeah. changes so, that are so coming through would still probably be harder than what it was 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. So we've now established there's more people on the earth, materials are getting more expensive, labour's getting more expensive, and the physical construction of the house as far as the plan of how to build it is getting harder so is it realistic to think house prices will increase or decrease over a five ten year period yeah like the fundamentals are so ridiculously in favor of them increasing it's also just like in a smaller scale you sort of go and these numbers aren't quite accurate but if you go auckland's average house price is 1.2 million and christchurch just say six to seven hundred thousand you go is it realistic in the next 10 years that Christchurch's average house price will match Auckland's average house price of where Auckland is today. E.g. in 10 years' time, can Christchurch catch up to Auckland? And then if it does and becomes 1.2 million, is it realistic to think Auckland will have stayed exactly the same? Or do you think there will have been increases to keep that gap roughly between the largest metropolitan city in New Zealand and the second largest metropolitan city? Yeah. No, I and then on the bigger agree. scale, I actually think you look at like Sydney, London... New York, like the really developed metropolitan cities. And like it makes the whole of New Zealand look on sale. Like you look at the the high-end Herm Bay homes in Auckland for say 20 million, which uses a substantial amount of money, but that equivalent place in Sydney might be 50, 60, 70 million. In New York it might be 80, 90, 100. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing we And remember, you're not just buying the house, it's the right to live in New Zealand under our government within our judicial system like it's not just the house it's everything the house represents is the standard yeah, of live, living in new you zealand live in that neighborhood the, you can access those schools those parks etc yeah and like um we're gonna see that more and more because like matthew said the world population's increasing but you'd always assume there's going to be a disproportionate amount of people wanting to move to new zealand and as far as yes we have immigration rules yes it's not a floodgate but based on what's happening currently with the government opening up the borders and the new immigration rules, they're essentially doing what every other government prior has done, where they go, we've made some mistakes, inflation's running rampant, it's squeezing the middle class, we don't want to put interest rates up too much. The best way to fix inflation is immigration, mm. which is just open and the borders. the economic value of an adult moving into a country. Like, let's just say you have a couple and they move to a country, they need a house. Think of the, the, the construction required to build the house. They need a car, they need a bed, they need a job, the job needs a desk. They might come with a computer, they might not. Like, introducing a couple of adults into a country, I'd love to see an economist yeah, the GDP calculate. of that family it would be millions. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like I think Huge. for the first time in just about two years, we've now started to turn the tap on immigration. So I think in March we had net, well, essentially like net um, population growth because of immigration. It wasn't a huge amount. It was like 1,200 people. But I guarantee you, or well, my forecast is you wait till like the July, August, September numbers, we'll start to see sort of ten to 15,000 net gain a month. And then you work out that 10,000 people need probably 4,000 houses on top of any sort of gap that's currently existing in the market. And there's still a debate whether we have a gap, a shortage of houses, whether we don't, whether it's all these holiday homes and empty rentals, or whether there still is a genuine shortage of housing. But that's still a shortage. If you own a house and you want it to be empty, that's your private property and you can do what yeah, you want. one house right? the market. Who are these people... Who are these people to say what someone should or shouldn't do with their property? Yeah, it, like, it's just bizarre, the entitlement. Yeah, and if you're saying, like, oh, we should have a empty home tax and blah, blah, it's like, okay, well, if you've got a spare and you let someone in there, you let a refugee and you let a homeless person and you let someone that can't afford their rent in, and then you but, can stand on a pedestal. Or just fuck off. Yeah, well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, just leave people alone with their private property. Like, it's like it's um, when you're at kindergarten, right? Keep your hands on your own body, right? <laughs> to, the, to the lefties out there trying to redistribute wealth, keep your hands on your own property. Leave other people alone. It is bullying. Yeah. Speaking of bullying, sorry, I have to go on a rant about stuff. I promised I wouldn't go there, but I'm going to go there. So, should I go there? Oh, we're committed now. Just a short summary. Yeah, okay, so... Really short summary, right? Um, Williams Corporation just finished a beautiful development of affordable houses in a neighborhood. There was a letterbox that was on our property on the berm. And when the owners moved into the property, someone called and complained and said, when you guys demoed the old house, you didn't take away the letterbox. And we're like, oh my God, we're so sorry. Um, I can't believe this happened. Um, We'll get it removed. So we go in, we send the person, they get it removed. Then we get a phone call from someone and they said, you've stolen our letterbox. And it's this sort of rainbow letterbox. And we're like, we don't think so. Hold on, we'll call you back. And we made some phone calls and then we found out we had and we called them. We're like, right, we're so sorry. We got told that um, it was ex- belonged to the existing house that we demolished. We'll get it straight back to you. So we get it back to them, um, think that everything's fine. Then we read stuff, which is terrible. Um, news outlet in New Zealand and they've written this story saying and they've framed it really cunningly they've essentially framed it that we stole their letterbox because we thought it was ugly but it's framed where it's written like it's kind of like a hate crime like it's really they haven't said it but they've just framed it making us look like we we are stealing someone's property because we don't like that it's a colourful letterbox and so now we've we've received like all this abuse from stealing this letterbox and people thinking that we're against the gay community when we are the fiercest defenders of property rights and freedom of the individual that I know. Like I don't know of anyone else that stands for property rights and freedom of the individual more than Williams Court Management. And the story's just a blatant lie. So I can't remember why I went on this rant. Oh, but anyway, the summary of this rant, the summary of this rant is when you're a good person doing the right thing, you'll have people attack you and you need to be strong. And that leads on to the economy, how it is, 
things are always going to get better and you've got to keep the bad negative people out of your space and you've got to focus on positivity, doing the right thing. Go back to the fundamentals, what happened, what's the truth. See, this is why this this stuff news site will fail long term. They haven't looked for the truth. They've just opposed an opinion to get clicks. And that's why long term people go away from them as a source of truth. Well, it's just like a, because they're not providing any It's truth. like a government. Governments always politicise on, if we get in, we'll do X, Y, Z, it'll be great. And then after three or six years, people go, they lied to me, they didn't do what they said and vote them out. And the same thing's going to start happening for news outlets where it's like, you told me the world was going to end or you told me to be worried about this or this or this in my life. It hasn't happened or it's materially not as bad as you said. So I'm just going to stop listening to you. Like I've, in the last couple of years, especially since COVID, most people I talk to might come in conversation that they refuse to watch the news anymore. Whereas the news used to be something that people mm. would intentionally make sure they switch on to at six o'clock every night. Where now people go, I make a conscious effort not to watch the news because it's so negative or it's just irrelevant for my life. I, I'm just being a little bit bitter now and I'm talking irrationally. But um, we just need to do more of this podcast and get a bigger following than stuff just to spite well, them. Like three people. <laughs> what I found oh, the most so ironic good. thing like, yeah. I was a little bit dark on stuff for one email and I saying is this correct and I saying no it's not here are the facts oh sorry I and forgot that two part two then publishing yeah. the story three hours later with incorrect details but literally two days prior one of their like people emailed us being like hi hi I'm some stuff I'd love um, for Williams Corp to look at doing some um, paid marketing with us well we're not going to do that now are we and probably a whole lot of stuff. I give you my word, I'll never spend a dollar. With and for your whole life. And Williams Corp spends five million a year on marketing, and you're not going to get one dollar of our marketing. Well, budget. the issue is like how they treat one private enterprise more or less will reflect how they treat others. And the fact they're doing this shows that less and less private organisations are going to market with stuff, and then they get into a position where they need to ask for fundraisers, do paid subscriptions from their readers get big bribes from the government so they can push left-wing agendas and it's not going to be sustainable. There'll be a change of government. Can you just say can you just say the thing you said once more about how we emailed them the correct information and they still published an incorrect story because I didn't highlight yeah, that so in my rant. In summary what happened is they emailed one of our senior management at say 11am saying we're going to run a story about this, here's what we've happened. Uh, can you confirm your side of events and reply by 2.30. It was something along those lines. We wrote a really bullet-pointed reply, more or less outlined what Matthew said, that we didn't instruct it to be removed. However, once we found out, we found out who removed it and got it put back in place. Um, and then three hours after we sent that email, they published the story anyway. Yeah. And what they've done, I just need to highlight, they've published it in a way where it looks like we looked at the letterbox, we decided it was ugly, we stole it, and it's it's phrased like a hate crime. It's really nasty, underhand shit. Yeah. But, hey, I'm sure that journalist... And now I have to deal with all my emails this morning being <laughs> yeah, return like, the letterbox. You, take, give, return the letterbox. Put the letterbox back. Yeah, which is so unproductive. Yeah. But, um, look, big picture, guys. Um, the world always has ups and downs, but... Based on every, all the data we see, quality of life always gets better. People always become more productive. And the 
it always gets better. Um, I'm a huge believer in property. I think property is going to continue to perform um, extremely well by comparison to other assets. Like, for example, I invested, I use the word invested with (laughs) um, air quotes, uh, 180,000 New Zealand dollars in crypto and I picked about 20 coins and had a reasonably diverse portfolio. Um, (laughs) It's now worth 80 grand, right? I invested um, $100,000 in the share market and that was only literally uh, a month ago and it's now worth 80 grand, right? My property portfolio is rocking and rolling. My tenant, my rent still comes in every week. I'm not selling it, so I don't care what it's worth. And I just love my property portfolio. So from like a mental stability, property is just such a lovely asset. Yeah, well, especially because like you said, if you're not selling it, like I suppose in a way like you look at crypto and shares with the exclusion of like a very small dividend, it's only really worth what it says on your app or on your share register of this share is worth $10 or $12 or $9, whatever it may be. Whereas with property, you're like, yes, it might fluctuate a bit. It's generally always going to be worth more than the debt you have on it because of your equity portion. And once it's tenanted, every week, sort of if you've got a little bit of vacancy or you do repairs or whatever, you get a check put in your bank account from it. And you can insure it in case it burns down or there's a flood or someone breaks a window or something. Like it's just such a solid, stable asset class. And the thing is, like, we always try and invest in things that people need. People need a roof over their head. They need food, they need water, etc. They don't necessarily need mm. Bitcoin or BNB or SafeMoon, etc. Whereas like, <laughs> and it's... Or, we need to retract the earlier SafeMoon yeah. comment. Well, it's one of those things where everything <laughs> generally goes up through supply and demand. Of course, with property, that's the amount of people living in an area, what's the demand, what's the supply, etc., Whereas like when the market gets harder and there's less liquidity through interest rates going up, et cetera, which is sort of the the space we're going into now, people obviously as part of a recession generally cut consumer spending, which is like new clothes, dinners out, holidays, but also they're not going to take an extra few thousand dollars and put it in the share market or put it in crypto or put it in all these other asset classes, which means it's much, much softer demands. The prices just probably won't rise. Whereas property, like we said, the replacement cost of property, it's very hard to go down. You've got labour going up substantially, material costs going up substantially. Like diesel is through the roof price-wise and every single cargo tanker Mm. runs on diesel. So the cost just to get the container here has gone up. You've got new building legislations for upgraded windows, foundations, structure, insulation. The list goes on and on and on. You've got increased council fees. So it's like, will property slow the rate of growth in the next 12 months? Probably, because it can't sustainably go up 30% every year forever. We know that wasn't sustainable, but do we see a scenario where it drops 20, 30, 40%? I really, really don't. And the banks don't either, or the economists. They're more or less saying, last year Mm. was crazy, let's slow down. It might return to pre-COVID, it might sit 5, 10, 15% higher. This will be considered the new normal, and then sort of that cycle will start again. Yeah, and also, just a shameless pitch for our product, well, just off the plan in general. What I like about new property and stuff we do, I put a deposit down now, but then there's a whole year of Williams Court building it. So let's just say, so statistically, 
for the last 45 years, the New Zealand property market on average has risen about 8% a year. And if you go on interest.com, uh, there's a really good graph of New Zealand property prices and very rarely over a year does it not move. But so let's just say you buy, I'm gonna use a million dollar property for the sake of maths. Um, you buy a million dollar property, you put, actually no, say 500,000. You buy a $500,000 property from Williams Corp, you put down a $50,000 deposit, that property increases in value a year over the construction period. It's now worth 500, um, let's say 10%. Yeah, let's say 10%, 550,000. You made a 100% return on your cash invested because you only put down a 10% deposit. Can't do that with shares. And like last year when property went up 30%, it has come back a bit. But anyway, look, every time Blair and I have spare money, it goes in one of, not every time, most of the time, Matthew and Blair have spare money. It goes in one of two places. It either goes into Williams Corp to build more property or it goes into Williams Corp properties. Yeah. But yeah, I think... We're getting there with our wee portfolios. We're I think we're about 20 each or something yeah, like that. I was going to say, I reckon the summary of the property market is like, there's going to be a few more negative articles. Interest rates will go up a bit more. It's sort of like July, August, it'll be immigration's running hot. Uh, inflation sort of somewhat stabilised through all the immigration and there will be like this is the new property price normal and then a whole lot of people go well I think now is the time to buy because it's probably going to return to what the peak was end of last year and that cycle will sort of start again probably around August to September this year I just wanted to put my two cents in I'm more I'm more bullish than you I reckon we're going to hit what the market perceives as the trough of the market in June um, and I think we'll see a 6% rise from June till Christmas in that six months. I reckon we'll see a percentage month in the market. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's quite fun to watch. Yeah. But also, like, we need to do more punts. Yeah, I know. Oh, also, just so you guys are all aware, it is the 13th of May, 22. But also, like, what's interesting with property, like, once you decide to buy a property or you already own one, you actually don't look at like what it's worth every month, every day, or even every year. It's more, you know, what your mortgage repayments are, what your rent is, sort of what your long-term plan is. It becomes a lot less relevant exactly what the market's doing month on month on month. So as long as don't get paralyzed mm. by the articles that when the right time to buy or sell is, it's more just you're going to have to pick a time to enter the market. And once you've done that, it then becomes easier to sit in the market. Remember back when we used to do our presentations, uh, we used to do these property seminars and we used to say, I wish that I bought a house the day before the GFC and everyone would be like, no, that's silly. And then you open up the New Zealand property graph and it's like the GFC, it drops 8%, then rebounds 16%, then rallies 8% every year for like years. Yeah, what's the epitome of like, you're, you're only lose money on property if you sell it and most people in the GFC lost money because they had to sell not because they wanted to sell so it's about just strategically buying and not over leveraging yourself so when the market does sort of if you have some vacancy or interest rates go up you don't have to sell your property and the unfortunate thing about life is usually mm. shitty things happen in three like the month that you have something wrong with your house that it's vacant will be the month interest rates go up and you have to refix your mortgage and then something else will happen, like your car will break down. So it's one of those things we like, just don't run yeah, it too always. close to the wire, especially when you consider how long we're probably going to all be alive for. 
it's not worth jeopardizing your entire life's work over getting one extra property in there or spending an extra hundred grand on your personal home. Or like you might get I away agree with and that. I disagree. There's the odd time you've got to just make a decision, stretch and work like hell. Mm. Like it shouldn't be something if you're someone that stretches all the time, you will get bit. But like I can think of times in our career where we gave it a good wee stretch. Yeah. We don't need it more because because we've accumulated enough wealth not to need to. But like if I was to do it all again, I'd still chuck some good wee stretches in there. Yeah. And it's all risk appetite, <laughs> what age you are, how much you have to like if you've got nothing to lose then you can stretch like hell because you're stretching like nothing. But if you've got like a family yeah. and like <laughs> you're stretching a business zero. and stuff, like you want to be careful how much you stretch, right? And also, we represent a large amount of other people's money, and that's why we're so um, sensible. Yeah, and like you've got the contractors, their families, suppliers, so like the, the risk is too big for us to ever trade in a, a responsible manner. But if it's just like you've got your personal house and a bit of savings to buy a rental and you might want to contract one more off the plan and hope you can settle, it's not like the end or be all of the world, you know. This isn't financial advice, by the way. Yeah. FMA. Yeah, we kind of need like a revolving <laughs> disclaimer on all this, but where it's like, we're not liable for anything because this is just a podcast of yarns. Yeah, yeah, complete yarns. Well, but it's still yarns that turn out to be more right than 90% of the New Zealand economists. Remember when I called out that economist straight after COVID? Just and he's before like, COVID, New Zealand... No, 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 no. It was the first... Oh, I, I call them out all it the time. It was before the so first lockdown, we're talking I think, about... Maybe. And it was just like, yeah. it was talking about COVID's got China in lockdown, blah, blah, blah. Economy's going to fall through a cliff. He's like, I'd be highly surprised if prices don't drop this quarter. And if they don't, then they're going to fall strongly in the following quarter. And that was literally before they did this huge rally. Yeah, he said that prices were going to come back 15 to 20%. And I stood up and I'm like, you're completely wrong and it will happen the exact opposite because every fundamental says that prices will go up. And I'm like, you're just running off feelings. And literally exactly, and he forecasted down 20%, I yelled up 20%. Oh, so good. But also, this is the other thing about these economists. If you say prices are going to drop every single year for 10 years, you're going to be right one of yeah. them. If you go, the crash is coming, like eventually you'll be right, which is exactly Rich Dad Poor Dad. <laughs> Yeah, who, who I love his books. Just his content on social media is a bit negative. All right, should we wrap that right, up, right, guys? Yeah, I reckon um, you guys know the deal. If we provide a value, please share this podcast with one like-minded friend. If we didn't, don't. Hopefully, our mics are all connected properly, and you get a good audio experience. Um, that is us. See you later. I should actually be negative of COVID today or tomorrow. So you don't this might be your last podcast COVID with COVID Matthew and you might get back to regular regular Matthew. Alright. Okay guys, thank you very much. You're all legends. Peace out.